Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're continuing our sermon series, Jesus the long-awaited one, and, and I want to tell you this, if you haven't uh, kind of picked up on this already, uh, the theme obviously is the life of Christ. The theme is really from the birth all the way through, we're walking, looking ahead to Easter, uh, the death, burial, and eventual resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I hope we've painted for you over the last many weeks is this beautiful reminder that, watch now, from the beginning, Jesus has always been the answer. You understand that? And if you've come this morning or or maybe you're at home watching or you're in overflow and you think there's some other answer other than Jesus, you're mistaken. And you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to struggle through life looking for answers in all the wrong places, right? Because we've seen this, this beautiful picture, this beautiful reminder, really from the beginning of God's plan through Christ, of God's plan to redeem us the sinful people of the world, back to himself. And so we've been walking through the different miraculous events, the encounters, the teachings, the prodigal son last week. Right? We talked about a few weeks ago how Jesus has turned his face now toward Jerusalem, understanding that his purpose, his primary purpose, is to take up his cross to give his life for us, right? He's challenged us as followers of Jesus Christ. What are we doing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross day by day and to follow him? And so there's this, there's this picture, this reminder of his goodness, of his majesty, of his power. And we're going to get into a story this morning, the resurrection of Lazarus that all of us have probably heard before. Right? In fact, you've probably already heard a lot of the stories we're preaching through in this series. If you've been in church for some of you your whole life, you've probably heard all these stories. So I'm going to challenge you again. It's not so much about head knowledge, it's about heart knowledge. And what are you doing with the truths that you are learning or maybe are being reminded of in your life day to day? Not enough just to know it. There's a lot of y'all could come up here and give the same information I'm about to give, right? But what are you doing What are you doing with that truth? If Jesus really is the answer, which he is, how are we living our lives to bring him honor and to bring him glory? So let's jump right in this morning. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. There's a lot of verses. We're going to skip a few, summarize a few, walk through this together to figure out exactly what the Lord's teaching us through his word. John chapter 11, beginning verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus. Of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, right? Jesus is very soon now going to be arrested in Jerusalem. He's ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill, right? This is a family that knows the Lord, have followed him, they love him, he loves them, verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, 
He whom you love, this is Lazarus, is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, right? He knows what's eventually going to happen here. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's an interesting way to show love, right? I mean, I know you need me. I know you're sick. I'm going to hang out a little bit longer in a few more days. I'll be there. Now, I want to give you some foundational truth here. I don't want you to understand what's going on. We're going to build the rest of this truth that we're going to see in just a few minutes off of this main idea, right? It's an idea that we see in other parts of Scripture. I'm going to walk us through a little bit of that, but I want you to see what I think is the main principle in this text is truth number one. The, ra- the resurrection of Lazarus is going to display God's glory, right? First, And foremost, primarily, everything we need to understand about this context, about this account, about John chapter 11, is this whole thing is designed to bring glory to the Lord. It's not about Lazarus. It's not about Mary. It's not about Martha. It's about the glory of the Lord. Just a side note here, just for a second, right? We oftentimes like to put ourselves in Scripture, right? We think we're the center of the story. We're not. Jesus is. It's always about him. It's about his will. It's about his majesty. It's about his glory, right? And we see this not only in this account, right, but we see it throughout the book of John, right? We, we see it clearly here in verse 4. He says it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through you, right? We're doing this for the glory of God. He says it down in verse 40 as well. He says to her, Do, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God, right? This is a theme that John uses throughout his gospel. He wants us to understand that the, the, the majesty and the power we'll see in just a few minutes, but ultimately the glory of the Lord at work in these situations. So for example, you don't have to flip back, but John chapter 1 verse 14 The prologue of the Gospel of John, right? One of of my favorite parts of Scripture, the first 14 verses of the book of John, talk about the idea of Jesus and who Jesus was and what he's done. But in verse 14, it says, The Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Watch, here it is. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You may remember the story a little bit farther in the Gospel of John. There's a blind man. The disciples are walking along with Jesus. They come to this blind man, and the disciples make this interesting uh, point. They ask this interesting question in verse 1 of John 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, right? There's this idea throughout the book of John that we are going to see and understand and experience the glory of the Lord, right? So we need to begin to ask ourselves the question as we understand what's happening in, in the story of Lazarus, as we understand what's happening throughout the gospel of John, we need to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing 
in our lives to glorify the Lord? What are we doing to bring glory to him? What are we doing to point everything about our lives to who he is? Because if we're not careful, we want everything to point to us, don't we? I don't know if it's just me. I don't think it really is. I think it's probably all of us. But sometimes I like to receive the glory, right? That's the struggle we face. We want people to think we're this or we're that. And we want people to look at us and notice, right? But we see scripturally over and over again that it's about us bringing glory to the Lord, pointing to him in all things. John Piper said it like this. Glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and all the satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. So we kind of come to this interesting story, right? There's this kind of um, maybe confusion in our mind, right? We see this account where there's this man that's sick, We know that he's going to eventually die. We know that Jesus, we'll see in just a few minutes, Martha and her sister Mary both make this comment. We know that if Jesus had gotten there sooner, he could have healed Lazarus. And so the question comes to our mind, why in the world would the Lord allow this family to suffer? Why would he allow Lazarus to die? Is it just so he could receive glory? You're like, Adam, I don't fully understand that. Why would he ask this family to go through this? Because his ways are not our ways period. Not easy to hear sometimes. But Adam, what about, but what about, are you telling me he, yeah, I know, I don't, I don't fully understand it either. But we come to this place sometimes where we just have to trust that the Lord is at work even when we don't fully understand. I was talking to Joe just a few minutes ago, right back here, right before I baptized him. And he made the comment, we were talking about how the Lord has brought him here and how the Lord's at work in his life. And he was talking about the job situation he's in. And some of you have experienced the same sort of thing, how he had some decisions to make a few months ago and he made this decision. But he said what he didn't realize is when he was making the decision is there were all these other people in different jobs in the same company that were making some similar decisions and how the Lord wasn't just working in his life, he was working in all the lives of these other people as well. And the Lord was moving these pieces. He didn't even know it was happening. And we talked about how that's how the Lord works. We get so focused on our little, our little world and we think about what we want the Lord to do right here now. We forget that he's working in all these other lives as well. And sometimes he moves other pieces outside of us in order to help us get to where we need to go. And sometimes that requires us to go through difficult things. Sometimes that requires us to go even through pain and suffering, right? But we understand his ways are not our ways, nor, watch this, is his timing our timing. Look at verse 6 again, right? John eleven six. 6. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's been asked to come and help. There's a real clear process and plan. And Jesus says in verse 6 of John 11, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he immediately went and healed him from his sickness. It's not what it says. Instead, he stayed two days longer. Jesus could have very easily have gone and healed Lazarus. He could have been made well. And maybe this account never even makes the scripture. But Jesus understands. Listen, Jesus understands there's a bigger picture at play. It's not just about our little world sometimes. It's not just about our little life. It's about his will and his timing. And watch, ultimately his glory. 
Now let's continue. Skip down to verse 20. So Jesus and his disciples go. They find where Lazarus is. At this point, they arrive. He's already dead. So we pick up the story in John chapter 11, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, right? She's still kind of upset. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha's confused here. Look at verse 24. So she said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Right. So we see foundationally, we're talking, first of all, about the glory of the Lord. His glory is going to be displayed His ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing. There's a much bigger picture at play. Ultimately, it's to bring him glory. That's the first truth. Here's the second truth I want you to see. The resurrection of Lazarus displayed God's salvation. So it's his glory, ultimately. But in this text, it's also about his salvation. Now, I want you to notice the emotion that's taking place in this story. We'll see in a few minutes, Jesus himself is very emotional, very upset. The the people that are standing by are very emotional. Martha and Mary are very upset, right? They've they've experienced a great tragedy, a great loss. They're weeping. They don't understand. There's confusion. And I think about sometimes how we deal with tragedy in our life. We we did the memorial service yesterday for Mike and Leanne Spate. Most of you probably know the story by now. Just a tragic, a tragic occurrence this last week. And, and we find ourselves, myself included, why? Asking why, Lord? Why does it have to happen, right? All the range of emotions, you know, the, the sadness and, and, and the hope and the joy and all the things that kind of swirl together and you, and you meet with families and you try to answer questions and, and offer hope. And sometimes we just have to say, listen, I don't fully understand, but, but I trust the Lord, right? I trust the Lord that he's in control, that he knows what's best. But if we're not careful, sometimes we, we allow ourselves, and we have to guard against this, especially in difficult moments. We find ourselves really questioning the Lord. Why did you do it that way, Lord? If there's a better answer, God, there was a better answer for this than what you did. There's a better solution for this. Why did you have to do it this way? And we see that, that kind of raw emotion kind of coming out in this text in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And we read that kind of casually, but I can just imagine the emotion she must have felt there. And, and the pain and the questioning and almost the blaming. Lord, if you'd just gotten here a little sooner, Lord. If you just got here when I asked you to, none of this would have happened. But I want you to notice what Jesus does in verse 22 of what she says and what he does in the following verses. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her in 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
Right? Jesus does what he's so good at doing. Oftentimes when people are confused in conversation with Jesus, they don't fully understand what's happening. They don't fully understand where he's going. And, and they make comments that may be true, but are not pertinent to the situation. Right? She understands that one day Lazarus will rise again. One day in the resurrection, Lazarus will be back. But Jesus wants them to understand, listen, right now, I am the resurrection and the life. You're not going to have to wait until the end. I'm going to show you right now my majesty and my power and my glory. And you need to understand that through me, right now, there is salvation. There's hope today. And so he uses one of the seven I am's, right? I preached through this a few years ago, the seven I am's of Jesus. The I am statements, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the vine. Jesus uses these I am statements, and I'm not going to go back and re-preach those sermons, but you can probably understand if you've thought a little bit about it or studied it, maybe you remember when I taught it, Jesus is referring back to the story of Exodus. This is one of the things I love about studying New Testament and the life of Christ. There's so many pointers, right? We're looking back, so we're drawing these connections Back to Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Right, Moses hears the Lord speaking in the bush that does not burn. And the Lord says, listen, go tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, listen, who, are, who am I? Who are you? What am I supposed to tell them if they ask me who sent me? You know what the Lord says to him? I am has sent you. So when Jesus makes these I am statements, he's drawing this direct connection. The Jewish people of the first century, light bulbs would have gone off. They understand what he's doing. He's claiming deity. I am Messiah. But it's more than just deity. It's the idea that I am past, present, and future. I am. And so we take that truth, that idea of his glory and his majesty and his salvation, and we're reminded that right now, no matter where you are, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is still the great I am. Do you know that? He's still at work in your life. Even if his timing isn't your timing. Even if his ways confuse you. Even if it means that you have to go through struggles and difficulties, Jesus is still the great I am. Now, I don't want to miss this opportunity because I know in a, in a congregation this size and people at home watching that there are people here, probably lots and lots of people that have prayed at some point in their life to receive Jesus as, as their Lord and Savior. But I know there are others that have not. And so just a, a word of warning first. I say this pretty often, but I want you to hear it again. Just because you come to church, just because you may give money, just because you go on a mission trip, just because you're a good person, just because you maybe even prayed a prayer when you were six years old doesn't necessarily mean you're a believer. I stepped on some of your toes there. I'm sorry. This is worth you being offended over. All right, salvation is repentance of sins, trusting in Christ, and living your life for Him as Lord and Savior in all that you do. And if you're the person that says, listen, I prayed when I was a kid. I come to church occasionally. I don't really think about the Lord. I don't pray. I'm not interested in things. Maybe you need to re-examine who you are in Christ. Because the Bible gives us this very clear picture of exactly who Jesus is, exactly what he accomplished, and exactly how we can trust in him and be forgiven 
of our sins. Jesus says, listen, even in the midst of this tragedy that you don't fully understand Martha and Mary, even in the midst of this great difficulty, even though the timing is off in your opinion, even though you don't get it, I am still the great I am. Let's wind this thing down. Look at verse 32. So now Mary's going to come out. right? She came to Jesus where he was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him exactly what her sister said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, we're still kind of accusing. I wish you'd been here. If you'd have done a better job, Lord, he would still be here. Verse 33, and Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, right? We, we see the emotion, the raw emotion here. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, right? Shortest, but one of the most profound verses in all scripture, verse 35. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? There's this accusatory, he should have been here. There's a better way, Lord. If you'd have just listened to us. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I've said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him Go, right? We've seen the glory of the Lord. We've seen the salvation of the Lord. Truth number three, the resurrection of Lazarus displayed God's power. Right? His glory, his salvation, now his power. Even in the midst of all these people questioning, even in the midst of all this concern, if you'd only been here, my brother would have died, verse 21. If you'd only been here, my brother would not have died again in verse 32. Could he not? keep this man alive? Could he not have kept this man from dying? Verse 37, right? It reminds us oftentimes of how we question God, of how we wonder exactly who he is. But look at verse 42. Jesus says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Right? In other words, Lord, may your name be glorified May people see your power. May people believe that I am who I say that I am. Now, I'm going to give you very simply this morning as we, as we finish up three implications, right? Three things I want you to walk away with. All right, we've seen the idea of the glory. We've seen the idea of the salvation. We've seen the idea of the power and the majesty of the Lord. Three implications when Jesus raised Lazarus Back to life. Here's the first one. Jesus makes dead people alive. Period. So that person that you think is spiritually dead, that can never be fixed or never be 
healed or will never actually repent of their sins. That's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus has the power to raise the dead to life. Right, just a side note, if Jesus has the power to raise the dead to life, don't you think he's got the power to work in the situation you've been praying about? Don't you think he's got the power to fix your marriage? Don't you think he's got the power to heal? Don't you think he's got the power to work in ways that you don't even necessarily have the faith for him to work in? Jesus makes dead people alive. Here's the second implication. His voice, his word changes history, right? The beautiful thing is we have his word bound in a book. I said this in the first service. Watch, this is important. The fact that you have the full canon of Scripture bound in a book that you can carry around with you and read at your leisure freely without worry that somebody's going to stop you or arrest you is rare in the history of the world. You understand that? You're in rarefied air right here. and You don't even know it. Billions with a B of people through history don't have what you have. God has given us his word, and it changes lives. Third implication, we are no longer bound to death. We are free. Right, Lazarus comes out with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Sin does not define you. Some of you are like, well, if, you, if you just knew, Adam, <laughs> man, if you knew what I did or what I'm struggling with now, there is absolute freedom in Christ. Don't let the enemy lie to you that whatever sin you're struggling with right now can't be forgiven and redeemed. It can. And don't let the enemy lie to you that the sin you committed weeks or months or years ago is still hanging on and still a part of your life. It's not through Jesus. There is forgiveness and there is hope. Right now, Jesus is very soon going to be arrested. He's going to be tried He's going to be crucified. He's going to die on the third day. He's going to raise to life. But Jesus holds the keys to death. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus brings life. And all you have to do is trust and believe. Let's pray. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We trust you and we love you. We want to serve you. We want to always take the truth of your word and figure out how to apply it to our lives. So, so help us again to see your glory, to see your salvation through Jesus, to see the power, Lord, that you demonstrate so often. Help us to take that into the world, to live our lives, Lord, with, with reckless abandon, to do the things you've called us to do. Work in the hearts of these precious people this morning. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.